Hello, and welcome to all who are listening. This is the Just the Basics podcast, Business Edition, hosted by Aryan Kanna, Karan Singla, and Rhythm Akre. So before we start this episode, we want to go through a basic run-through of how this podcast came to be and what it's going to cover. As a high school student, I'm always thinking about what my life will look like after I graduate, and I've been thinking a lot about business recently. To learn more, I tried searching for a podcast that just taught listeners the surface-level basics of business, and I couldn't find one that was both enjoyable and informative, so I decided to take initiative and create this one. In this podcast, we're going to cover everything about economics and business. Don't worry, guys. It won't just be some high schoolers throwing facts at you, because we're learning right along with you guys in this casual series of business discussion. Each host has gone out and done their own individual research of this episode's topic, and we are ready to discuss it here today. Get the popcorn ready and get ready to learn with us as we dive into our first episode, the stock market. Alright, first things first, what exactly is the stock market? As we mentioned, we are high schoolers, so as my first initiative, I decided to go ask other high schoolers what they thought the stock market was. I got answers from, I have absolutely no idea, to an exchange of shares and stocks financially between companies. So, Rhythm, what exactly is the stock market? Do you have a definition for me? Yeah, the stock market is multiple exchanges in which shares of publicly held companies are bought and sold. This can be done either digitally through stockbrokers or physically through over-the-counter markets, also known as OTCs. OTCs can usually be an unsupervised trade of stocks done between two parties. Like, for example, if one wanted to buy a certain amount of stocks straight from the company without there being a middle cut taken by the stockbrokers, it, it's legal to just go buy one. And there's certain regulations as with the whole stock market because the entire market is under clear and strict regulations. But but through a, an over-the-counter, is completely unsupervised, right? Yes. Okay. It's not under the control of an exchange. And the only major difference between companies on a big exchange like the New York Stock Exchange and OTC exchanges is that is that the companies um, on an OTC exchange are smaller and usually not as big as companies on the New York Stock Exchange. But once they are able to grow into a company that's uh, qualified for an exchange like the New York Stock Exchange, companies are able to raise funds at higher rates because it's more accessible to the public. And then when they increase their funds, they're able to spend more money in order to improve their overall performance. Which ultimately raises the stock price. This leads us to the stock market being a crucial part of our free market economy because it allows for equal access to investor trading and the equal exchange of capital. All right, hold on to that thought rhythm. We'll come back to that. First, I want to briefly go over the history of the stock market, especially the stock market in America. So right out of America for a bit, in the entire world, the first publicly traded company was the Dutch East India Company, which made its shares on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange in 1602. And uh, moving on later in the future, um, in 1790, the Philadelphia Stock Exchange was formed. That was America's first stock market. And as opposed to the current stock market, the Philadelphia Stock Exchange, also known as PHLX, focused more on equity, currency, and index options rather than traditional stock trade. Now, as many of you may know, the current stock exchange in America is known as the New York Stock Exchange. So how do we go from Philadelphia to New York? Well, in the late 1700s, around the time that the Philadelphia Stock Exchange was formed, there was a group of men known as the Buttonwood Tree Agreement. 
It was just a small group of men that uh, traded, bought, and sold stocks and bonds with each other. In 1817, the group of men observed and mimicked the actions of the Philadelphia Stock Exchange, and eventually they grew into the new, they grew into the New York Stock and Exchange Board. This eventually grew into what we now call the New York Stock Exchange. One fun fact about the New York Stock Exchange now is that the street it's on, Wall Street, was named because of the fact that around the time of its creation, it was on the same street as a stockade or a large wall. To add on to that, in 1835, a great fire erupted in Lower Manhattan, and Wall Street, again, the street that the New York Stock Exchange is on, suffered a great deal of damage. About 70 years later, in 1903, the doors of the New York Stock Exchange opened with hundreds of stock certificates held underground in vaults. Back to the topic of the New York Stock Exchange. So why exactly was it formed? It was formed by the same Buttonwoods, who were a group of 24 stockbrokers that wanted to deal with the United States' first financial panic. And this panic essentially started because of the expansion of credit by the Bank of the United States. So, the Buttonwoods had the goal in mind to promote public confidence in the market due to this newly formed credit, which caused people to not trust the market as much. And they also ensured that deals and trade were made between trusted parties, something that's present even to this day in the New York Stock Exchange, since regulations play a big part. These regulations help to prevent crimes such as insider trading, where an individual uses non-public information to gain an advantage while trading. And where can uh, people get this non-public information? Well, it's more to do with individuals in the government that know stuff, such as senators and other stuff like that, or, or higher ups in companies. An example of this is if a high-level employee of a company knows about a merger between his company and another big company, and he lets it slip to his friends, and then these friends buy these stocks preemptively, even though this information about a merger isn't public. In this situation, both the employee and his friends can be penalized for insider trading. As time went on and the stock market grew, we went through many expansions in terms of adding indexes and stocks. For example, in 1896, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was created. Later, in uh, 1971, the National Association of Securities Dealers Automated Quotations, otherwise known as the NASDAQ, was added as an index to the U.S. Stock Exchange. But we'll come back to that when we talk about stocks in specific. Let's first go over when the stock market expands or recesses and how this happens. So, the term recession by Oxford languages is a period of temporary economic decline during which trade and industrial activity are reduced. This can be caused by many different things in the business world, but we'll go through some examples now. The first example is the Panic of 1873. And since some of you may know, 1873 is right after the Civil War where the US banking system was growing very fast. And the economy was greatly made up of railroads. So the panic really started in Europe when the European stock markets crashed. And investors from Europe who had invested in railroads in America started to sell their investments. And because of this, there was a soon 
more bonds on the railroads for sale than people really wanted to buy. So these railroad companies couldn't find anyone to lend them cash, which is what a bond is. A bond is when people buy an investment in a in some project and the project uses that money to grow and then later pays back the investors. So the railroads went bankrupt because no one wanted to buy these bonds. And one of the biggest banks in New York was the Jay Cook and Company, which had invested a lot of money in the railroads. And due to this problem in the railroads, the company went bankrupt. And when people saw that a bank this big failed, they started to draw money really fast from all the other banks since they did not want to risk losing their money too. This panic spread throughout the country and in the end, about 100 banks failed, causing there to be a severe lack of capital in the nation's banking system. About 50 years later, we come into an important part of American history known as the Roaring Twenties. Now, the Roaring Twenties is described as first an expansion and then a crash. An expansion is a phase in the stock market or just in uh, any type of cycle of business where the uh, GDP is growing at an excessive rate and it grows for a long period of time. So the Roaring Twenties is a, uh, was a decade in which economic growth was substantial. Now, in 1929, the market crashed. A market crash is when um, the market drops significantly and it drops in a very fast manner. Like I said, an expansion or a recession takes um, long periods of time to happen, but a crash is just when it all plummets immediately. To talk more about exactly what happened during that time, the Roaring Twenties was a period that uh, is described as social, economic, and political change, and that too, positive change. The total uh, wealth of our nation more than doubled between the years of 1920 and 1929, and the gross national product was increased by a whopping 40% between 1922 and 1929. Many people consider this uh, decade an era of consumer culture. Consumer culture is dis uh, defined by Oxford as a material culture facilitated by the market, which thus created a particular relationship between the consumer and the goods or services he or she uses or consumes. Essentially, it was a huge industrial period where the market grew amazingly. However, in 1929, things started to go wrong. Throughout the Roaring Twenties, as people began making more and more investments in the stock exchange, inflation increased. Overproduction of products and underconsumption was affecting uh, huge parts of the economy, and it began a decline in the industries. This crash became known as the Wall Street Crash of 1929. It occurred between September 1929 and the end of October. Due to the high market speculation at the time, many people had over-invested in the stock exchange, and when the market crashed, a huge portion of people lost their money. About 12 million people became classified as below the poverty line, and the economy sank. The Roaring Twenties is a great example of how expansion can grow our economy, but also create over-speculation within the stock, uh, the stock market and lead to inflation and a crash. A more modern example of this would be the stock market crash in 2008, which started in 2006 when housing prices began to fall. 
when these housing prices fell, lenders, which gave out loans to buy houses, would enable lower credit individuals to take out loans, which ended badly because the money wasn't being paid back, which caused then these lenders to fall and file for bankruptcy, which then caused hedge funds, which are a partnership of investors that trade at a very high level with billions of dollars of money, that had invested in these lenders to file for bankruptcy as well. All of this bankruptcy and downfall of these hedge funds caused fear in the public, who then began to rapidly divest all of their money, causing the market crash of 2008. Over the course of this crash, over $2 trillion were lost from the global economy, making it very significant, especially in modern times. So, Kern, you mentioned that in the 2008 crash, um, or at least in that period of time, people began to divest and take their money out of the stock market. But how exactly does taking money and putting money into stocks work. So to reiterate, a stock is a fraction of ownership of a company that an individual can purchase. So essentially, when you buy a stock, you now own part of that company. So companies that are public on the New York Stock Exchange have a set number of shares. And the share price of a company is dependent on many different factors. So Rhythm, do you want to talk about some of these? Yeah, so before we talk about the factors, price Price discovery, which is what we're talking about right now, is the process of finding out the price of an asset by comparing it to the price of other assets and matching buyers and sellers to a price that they both agree upon for the asset or commodity. In this case, that commodity is the stock. And this price discovery is greatly affected by market structure, liquidity, information flow, and supply and demand. So... Market structure is basically how different firms, these might be investment firms or brokerage firms, and how they're differentiated and categorized based on what they sell and what their, how their operation is def- affected by external factors. Then a liquidity, that's how easily an individual or firm can convert an asset into cash or convert cash into an asset. So by asset, you mean just a share, right? Yeah, this can be shares, this can be bonds, this can be actual physical assets such as houses, cars, investment properties, and everything. Okay, got you. And then that last factor you were talking about, um, supply and demand, it, that's basically just where um, if a demand of a share increases, then the price will also de- increase, right? You know, just a common rule of economics? Yes, yeah, so supply and demand is just present throughout all of economics and it influences right. every part of our economy. Including the stock market. Okay, so now that we know what causes prices of shares to fluctuate, how can an investor benefit by investing in these companies? So, obviously, as a consumer, our main goal is to make money. By investing in companies that we think the price of a stock will rise, we can make money. So, let's say, for example, I want to invest in a company where one share is $25. If I purchase one share for $25, and then the share increases to $30 in the next couple days, months, whatever, I would then make $5. So as I mentioned before, when we were talking about the timeline of the American Stock Exchange, I mentioned things uh, like NASDAQ and S&P 500 and um, uh, Dow Jones Industrial. These are known as indexes, but can either of you explain to me what an index is? Like, How is it different than a normal stock? So an index or an ETF 
which are almost the same thing, but we'll go over the differences later, are a combination of companies in a relative industry to show how an industry is doing. Some examples of this include the NASDAQ, which we've mentioned before, which is a combination of tech companies, or the Energy Select Fund, which obviously is a combination of energy companies. But that's not the only way ETFs can be created. An ETF can really be a combination of any type of company. For example, the S&P 500 is a combination of 500 of the largest companies on the stock exchange. So now, going back to the main differences between index funds and ETFs, Rhythm, do you want to describe some of those? Yeah, so the main difference between an ETF and index fund is that ETFs can be traded anytime at all during the day, whereas index funds have to be traded at a set price point at the end of each trading day. Another difference between ETFs and index funds is that there's typically no transaction cost between shareholders for index funds and also mutual funds, which are in index funds. Whereas ETFs have way lower costs in general that can be either taxation or management fees. I think that concludes our episode on the stock market because that was a lot of information. I hope all of you learned something because I know we three learned a lot through the making of this episode. If any of you are interested in learning how to invest in stocks, how investment companies work, or anything along the lines of that, or you're just wanting to join us on our journey of learning business and economics, stay tuned for the next episode where we will discuss investments. We are your hosts, Aryan Kanna, Karen Singla, and Rhythm Akre. And we hope you tune in again to learn just the basics. See ya.